Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Welcome to Strong Voices, coming to you from the Kama Radio Studios on Adana Country in Central Australia and broadcasting to all nations through Vice Channel 911 on 8KNFM in Bantua Alice Springs via the Kama app and online at www.caama.com.au. Today is Thursday the 15th of August 2019. My name is Damien Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up on the show today, we have the... National Science Week began on the 11th of August and will go until the 18th this Sunday. Today we are going to hear about the Indigenous Science Experience event in Redfern. Also, we will hear a new lang- hear about a new language map that is helping to preserve and in some cases revive First Nations languages across the country. And in our last story, we will hear about a film collective that aims to show the wider community what it is like to live in a remote community in the Northern Territory and their exhibition here in Bantua Alice Springs tomorrow. We will also hear the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news and communities and a community wrap. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. National Science Week is, is a time to celebrate technology, maths, science and engineering. The annual event is run from the 11th to the 18th of August as communities run events encouraging the general public and younger generations to get, expo- to get exploring science. Today we are going to hear about the Indigenous Science Experience Family Fun Day at Redfern in Sydney. The event is run by National Indigenous Science Education Program, which is a finalist in the 2019 Australian Museum Eureka Awards. Carl Dowling reports. Well, uh, National Science Week is underway as many exciting events are held uh, across the country. One such event is the Indigenous Science Experience at Redfern in Sydney. The event is run by the National Indigenous Science Education Program, uh, NICEP. Joining me to discuss the event is Associate Professor Joanne Jamie, a NICEP co-director, and William Fraser, who's studying a Bachelor of Law in Science at Macquarie University and has been involved in the program for a number of years. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Well, Joanne, can you just begin by explaining what NICEP actually is all about? The NICEP, the National Indigenous Science Education Program, is about empowering Indigenous youth by making them leaders of science activities within school, university and community events. And so we're working with Indigenous youth to help get them to recognise their own potential so that they can achieve to their maximum within their education and what they do within their careers subsequently. And can you speak to how and and sort of why it actually came about? It came 
about because I've been working for a number of years on bush medicines research with Aboriginal elders and particularly elders based in northern New South Wales within Yagal country. And as part of our discussions on the bush medicines, we also just got talking about um, how they wanted myself and my colleagues as scientists and educators to help really motivate their youth to want to complete their schooling and consider further education opportunities. And so it was actually through particularly the Yagal elders saying, we'd like you to make our youth leaders why don't you make them leaders of science activities and come to our schools and also bring them to university so they can see what university is like. So it all started just with the elders wanting to work with us to engage with their youth. And William, explain your, your involvement in NICEP over the years. When did you first become involved? So my first involvement with NICEP was all the way back when I was in year seven, which I think would have been around late 2011, so quite a number of years ago now. Uh, I got involved because I was a student at Casino High School, which is one of the partner high schools that NICEP works with. And so when I was in Year 7, my first exposure to the program was students who'd been in the program for a couple of years demonstrating those science experiments to kids at the high school in Year 7. So we were able to get engaged with that from a community focus, which was good to see. And then I think because of the engagement that they had, that helped encourage us to get involved in the program and gave us some students in later years who were mentors that could sort of guide us through not only the program and the experiments, but also things like university and career opportunities. And then sort of hit the ground running from there and have been involved pretty much as, as well as I could be over the last eight years old now. And and what's sort of, you know, some of those main reasons of why you've enjoyed it so much and, and, you know, wanted to continue your involvement in it? First and foremost, I guess, it's just a fun experience, especially coming from a rural area, getting the opportunity to, you know, get with some friends and, and mentors and people within your community and sharing that knowledge in a, in a fun and collaborative way is something that I really enjoyed. And then as well, getting the opportunity to, for example, be able to come down to Sydney, which the program would pay for, and experience things like the Redfern Open Day next week and like um, other experiences that the university would put on is something that I just wasn't able to get anywhere else whilst I was studying at high school. So I suppose making sure that I took advantage of those opportunities as well as it being fun and collaborative was sort of the reasons that I stuck with the program. Now, Joanne, the Indigenous science experience, uh, what's involved in that process? What's going to be happening? What's some of the things that people can expect? The Indigenous science experience at Redfern is going to have a family day on August 18th, and that is going to be a really wonderful opportunity for everyone to come along and learn from Aboriginal elders about their deep scientific knowledge. In fact, their knowledge across science, technology, engineering and maths will be highlighted. It's also an opportunity for them to see the relevance of science and more broadly STEM to everyday life through a a range of other science activities and an opportunity to see Indigenous youth leaders such as what Will has been in the past, so from our partner schools, showing some of these activities. So specifically from the perspective of the Indigenous science, technology, engineering and mathematics type events that we have, 
of a whole host and we're very excited by this. So, for example, the public can come along and yarn with Yagle Elders on bush foods and bush medicines with Uncle Ron and with Auntie Rosie. Auntie Rosie will also have workshops on soap bush making. They'll also be able to get to understand the physics behind boomerang throwing and actually do some boomerang throwing at the same time, to hear about Aboriginal astronomy. Really excited also to connect mathematics through um, corroboree equation workshops that are being run by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Mathematics Alliance. Um, so that's going to be very fascinating to see. We will be able to connect microscopy, which looks like Aboriginal artwork, to Aboriginal artwork, and a whole host of other things. We'll have our NICEP partner school students doing fun hands-on science, including the ever-popular slime making, which the public can also get to do, and, and many other aspects. So it's a real combination of Indigenous and Western science, technology, engineering and maths, and um, really respectfully done. It's an opportunity for everyone to come and learn so much across the spectrum. For both you, Joanna, and, and William, why is it important to share this uh Indigenous knowledge within this space, the Indigenous sciences? Why, why is it this opportunity to be able to celebrate so important? I feel that the knowledge that our Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have is incredibly important. Firstly, the understanding of how bush foods and bush medicines are effective can help us in being able to direct that knowledge towards healthcare and maybe development of new medicines down the track, as an example. But also, there's so much knowledge that Aboriginal people have of their land and management of it and managing it in a very sustainable manner, which I think is becoming more and more important given the environmental challenges that we have. So from those perspectives, it is important to understand that knowledge and um, Will's got some great examples as well with this, but I think it's important for people to also value what our Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have of that knowledge, to respect them. It actually is, I think, incredibly empowering towards the communities for that knowledge to be recognised as well. On that sort of social aspect, I suppose, with the sharing of Indigenous knowledge, it's the way that you can empower us, recognise our history and I suppose value the history at the same time and of course share that with the rest of the public because a lot of people don't know the histories of Aboriginal science and I suppose there's that sort of whitewashing there in the colonial history about the way of life that Aboriginal people actually had and in the way that it's expressed within our science and at the science experience, of course, and, and other events through the year. And more, you can just see the knowledge that Aboriginal people have the land and our ways of life as well, which is something that's empowering, you can be proud of, and it's great to see. And do, do you think that, uh, you know, that acknowledgement of that Indigenous knowledge is starting to get out there a little bit more? And do you think, as you're mentioning, Joanne, um, the relevance as well in terms of what some of these things might actually impact us today. I think we're entering into a really great stage where schools are now embedding Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander knowledge and perspectives into the curriculum, which is amazing. So we're now going to be seeing students coming through from school 
valuing that knowledge, understanding it, respecting the culture that's around them. And so I think that's a very important aspect. And more and more universities are now also looking at ensuring that knowledge is core to everyone's studies. So this is a really very positive change from what was only a couple of years ago. Incorporation into school curriculum has just happened in the last 12 months, for example. I think that everyone recognising how valuable, how powerful this knowledge is and respecting the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples that have that knowledge is also very important in us as a country, I suppose, undergoing reconciliation. I think it's incredibly important for us all to work much more in unity with this. Obviously, individuals have preferences in terms of things that they are obviously interested in, but do you, do you think there is a growing interest among Aboriginal people to get involved in science and technology, engineering and maths, and that perhaps a way to get more uh, mob involved is, is, as you were saying, to you know have the uh, examples you know, perhaps tailored to different Aboriginal knowledge and understandings? I think there's a growing interest with this of Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth. Students are seeing role models such as Will and others now entering into university, entering into great careers across the STEM space. And so they're starting to see this is something that they can achieve. Its exposure is really important to get all youth to recognise that they can do this themselves. I think in the past, people have looked at science, for example, as being hard, but it's actually something that everyone can do with the right opportunities and education available for them. So, yes, these role models that we're providing through NICEP, um, the exposure through the Indigenous Science Experience at Redfern, I think are creating a whole change in youth wanting to get into this really exciting space for study and future careers. And just finally, what do you hope people take away from from an event like this, like National Science Week and and in particular the Indigenous Science Experience? What, What do you hope people walk away from this experience with? I hope, firstly, that they feel the knowledge of the elders is something very rich, very special, and that... The people who come to this event feel very privileged of having been able to get that knowledge from the elders. I hope also from the Redfern event that they see how exciting science, technology, engineering and maths is and recognise that it's a part of their everyday life but also a very exciting area for a future career. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, ideally, of course, you know, every single person would walk out of the experience with a newfound passion for (laughs) science and Indigenous culture. Um, But, of course, just the simple act of everyone showing up. And I've seen over the last few years how the event has just continued to grow Mm -hmm. and how much more interested people seem to keep being in Indigenous science, Mm. in what NICEP is doing and um, in the opportunities that we have. And so I think for for a lot of people, just the simple act of showing up uh, is is something that is a great act of reconciliation, interest in science and interest in Indigenous culture. And then, of course, you know, the recurring guests that we see each year are, are just part of the commitments we see to those values. I wanted to note that this event is hosted by the Redfern Community Centre, which is an amazing place, and we're very thankful 
for them to be hosts over the last eight years. We're also very thankful for the fact that we've had support through Inspiring Australia and the Australian Government to allow us to run this event. And yes, it's an exciting, wonderful opportunity to be a part of. Um, I'm thrilled of all of the providers that we've got giving us a range of activities this year and this event is something that we welcome everyone to come along to as an opportunity to learn so much across the Indigenous and Western STEM areas. That was Associate Professor Joanna Jamie, Coordinator of the National Indigenous Science Education Program, ending that report. Come radio, strong voices on 18 FM. The new 50-word project, led by linguist Professor Rachel Nordlinger and Associate Professor Nick Teberger from Melbourne University, along with the members of the language groups that are being recorded, hope to capture 50 words from all First Nations across the country. I spoke with Professor Rachel Nordlinger about the project. This is a project that I've been developing with a, a colleague uh, at the University of Melbourne, uh, Nick Teberger, and the idea behind it is that we wanted to pull together 50 words in every Indigenous language around Australia uh, and present them in an easily accessible online format so that everybody, including Indigenous communities, but also the broader Australian population, could really get access to to words in different Indigenous languages and, and really um, learn how fascinating and different and diverse they are. So what there is is a, a map. If you go to the 50 Words website, which is 50words.online, then what you'll see is a map of Australia with all of the hundreds of Indigenous language names across the map, showing where the different languages are from across Australia. And then for some of the languages at the moment, but hopefully soon all, <laughs> we have 50 words that you can you can click on the language name, you can hear the 50 words being spoken in that language by a community member, and you can see how the, how the words are spelled and, and hear how they sound. I, I have been to the website. It looks awesome with the huge map with all the languages all over the country. And, uh, you know, like you said, there's a, there's about, I think there's 15 languages so far that have uh, words to them. What kind of things are you going to be looking at trying to, uh, well, like you said, hopefully, you know, get all the languages up there and, and have 50 words from uh, all the ones that are up there. How are you going to go um, with trying to get all those languages up there? Yeah, well, so we're we're trying to get in touch with with community. So that the whole point of this project for us is that the only words that go onto the onto the web page are ones that have been given to us with permissions from community members. So we need to we need to really just work with with community members for all of these different languages. We've started doing that initially through the various communities that we already have connections with. So um, we're all a, a team of linguists. Many of us have worked with uh, on language-related projects with different communities around Australia for a number of years. So we've started by just calling on the people we know already and getting them to help us out. And now we're trying to send the word out to everybody else to get in touch with us and um, help us record 50 words in their language. So hopefully bit by bit, we'll be able to turn all of the 
currently grey language names on the map, which are the ones we don't have data for, into orange, which are the ones that we do. How important is it uh, for for tools like this for languages, especially those uh, that uh, you know are asleep um, and want it to be brought back and that kind of thing? How important is it for having those languages um, respoken as well? Yeah, I think it's really important in lots of ways. I think it's it's really important for the broader Australian public to learn to value and appreciate. Indigenous languages, and I, I think a lot of Australians don't really understand much about Indigenous languages at all. They, uh, some people don't even realise how many there are and how different they can be across the country. And so one thing that I think this map does is really help the broader Australian population understand a little bit more and about these amazing languages. And that can only be a good thing for, for uh, in terms of... of people understanding the need to support the, these languages and help communities who are trying to relearn them or continue to speak them. So I think it's important in that way. But I think there's probably a, it's quite important for individual communities to see their language represented on the map. It's a wonderful way now that people are so spread out. Um, that, you know, often people aren't living on country anymore and they may not hear their language spoken around them very much anymore and it's a lovely way to just very simply and easily be able to, to go online and hear some, some words from a language that might mean something important to them. And like you're saying, you know, um, it would be made amazing to be used as like a, a teaching tool as well in schools. Yes, exactly. So that was another big motivator for us was uh, the idea that a lot of teachers in schools all around Australia might be interested in in teaching something about their local Indigenous language, but it's very, very hard for people to get information about their local language. And uh, it's, it's hard for the the Indigenous community members to be called on all the time by every school and every classroom that wants to have some sort of language event. Um, so the, the purpose of this map is that everything that's up there has been put up there with permissions from the community to be made public. And so teachers and educators can go to that map. They can use that information in their classrooms and they can know that it's been done with permission and they can hear the the words actually being spoken so it's not even uh, a problem of sort of not knowing how to pronounce things properly you can actually hear the word being spoken by a member of the language community i think it'll be a great tool for for educating people about their local language and as it is, uh, you know, like I said, only 50 words um, from all the languages, were you looking at, um, you know, even expanding that somewhere down the line as well? Yeah, we, a lot of people have asked us that. We, we feel like, I mean, obviously, ideally, you would have every word in every language, but uh, we feel like we had to just pick something that was achievable. Um, we, we feel collecting 50 words in... Uh, 350 or so languages is already quite a big job. <laughs> so we're just going to try to focus on that for now. Um, but the the model and the framework and and the, the sort of um, the system will be all set up. So it will certainly be possible to add more lang- uh, words down the track if, if we all decide we want to do that. But for the moment, we'll just start with the 50 and see if we can get that done. 
As it is, uh, you know, the year of international language um, this year, how important is it to be able to um, preserve all these unique languages? Yeah, well, it's crucially important. And, I mean, it's wonderful to have an international year that, that brings a bit of a focus on this, but really it, we want this sort of work and this sort of importance to continue beyond just this year. So we we think that that this is an important thing to do, whether it's International Year of Indigenous Languages or not. It's great that we have this opportunity to, to get the broader Australian community to actually notice Indigenous languages and, and realise their importance. And then we hope that we'll be able to continue that momentum uh, once the year is over and tools like this map will, will help people stay connected. And like you said um, before, you know, being able to have this as a resource for for not only um, people from those language groups, but the wider Australian community to be able to learn um, some words in, in languages from across the country, especially uh, First Nations languages. How how important do you see that in a way of um, as a tool of uh, you know sort of closing um, uh, closing the gap, so to say, in um, cultural awareness of, of people in the country? Yeah, I think it's a really important part of valuing and understanding each other and, and the, the amazing, fascinating aspects of different cultures. So one of the things that, that this map can do is show, if you, if you sit at the map and you, and you look across the same word across different languages across Australia, you can see how diverse the languages are and sometimes languages that are very close together have completely different words for things and sometimes languages that are far apart have the same word and it shows us a lot of really interesting nuances about how Indigenous Australia um, works and, and how interesting it is and I think that's really important for for reconciliation, the idea of being able to actually understand for, for the broader Australian population to be able to understand and really appreciate things that are important to Indigenous people. And we know how important language is for, for Aboriginal communities and for, for everybody, really. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a really positive thing if the broader Australian community can, can also understand and appreciate some of those things that are important. Yeah, I, lo I love looking at the similarities of the words in some languages, which, like, you know, even pronounce the same and it means the same thing, but, you know, totally different areas. Yeah, I know. Isn't it cool? I just keep going on it. And every time we get new languages, so we've, we've got some Central Australian languages that should be coming online soon. We've got um, Kaidich, I think, and uh, it might be Anmajara or Alyaura, one of those. And it's really, every time we get new languages coming onto the map, we I have to get on there again and have another look and listen to all the different words. It's really, it's great fun. Yeah, it, it is great fun. And, and I think the, 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 having the audio there, the fact that you can hear these languages is also a really important part of it. It, it reminds everybody that these are living languages with people who care about them and people who speak them, you know, and I think that really helps bring the languages come, to, bring them to life as well, to, to hear the voices. 
Yeah, and I was just thinking as well, like, I mean, um, being able to hear the language as well, will that help a lot with, um, you know, as, as your work with uh, linguistics goes, will that help a lot with pronunciation of some other words that may be, you know, similar or, you know, language groups that border along each other? Yeah, I think so. And it, it, it means that people, because you can see the way it's written and, and you can also see how languages across Australia might write things in different ways. They might have their own way of writing sounds. And so if you if you look at the words in one language and you listen to how they're pronounced, then you can also learn how to map that pronunciation onto the way it's spelled. And that will help you then learn how to pronounce other words in, in that language as well that may not be on the 50-word website. So it's really, it is a tool that people could use to expand their knowledge of languages even beyond what's on the webpage. We would love people to get in touch with us if they're interested in uh, contributing 50 words in their language. And the way to do that would be to go to the 50 words website, so 50words.online, and you'll see a link there to the research unit for Indigenous language. And if they send us an email, um, we can work with them to get the recording done. So if any listeners out there would like to help us, we'd, we'd be very grateful. On that note, uh, Professor Rachel Nordlinger, thanks very much for talking to us here on Karma Radio. Thanks for having me. That was Professor Rachel Nordlinger speaking to myself about the new 50-word project. We'll be right back with more Strong Voices after this song break. What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yes, and welcome back to Strong Voices. Now it is time for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from around the country. And joining me in the studio, I have Kyle, Kyle Dowling. Uh, Kyle, good morning. Good morning, Damien. Good morning to everyone tuning in to us from across the country. Now, there's a story about a new youth detention facility being built in Darwin. Yeah, that's right, Damien. Uh, so this is a story from the ABC. Aboriginal groups in the Northern Territory have actually expressed anger and disgust at the uh, decision to build a new youth detention centre beside Darwin's adult jail, saying the Northern Territory government should be embarrassed. Uh, the Northern Territory government announced this week that the Dondale replacement would be located beside the Holtz prison, despite the Youth Detention Royal Commission saying the facility should not be rebuilt in close proximity to an adult jail. Uh, the report from the ABC goes on to say that the news came as hundreds of uh, delegates gathered in Darwin for an Aboriginal health and legal conference, including uh, Barrister Tony McAvoy, uh, who was council assisting on the Youth Detention Royal Commission. He said, according to the ABC, that uh, to say that people were distressed and astounded by that is putting it mildly. So delegates at the conference have passed a unanimous motion condemning the decision and calling for action from the federal government. The decision was also met with anger and disgust by the Aboriginal Peak Organisations of the Northern Territory APONT group, uh, representing which represents health services and, and land councils. Uh, the spokesperson, John Patterson, said it was a further retreat from the Northern Territory government from the recommendations of the Royal Commission. I'll be looking to speak with uh, Mr. Patterson later this afternoon on the topic, but obviously something that, uh, you know, is met with a lot of criticism. You know, the decision in terms of where it was going to go uh, has been coming for quite some time, but uh, obviously some of the Aboriginal groups not happy with that decision. Yeah, so uh, they call to close one prison and they're going to open another one. <laughs> it's a bit uh, of a, yeah, revolving 
circle. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on that note, Carl, thanks for joining us for the Aboriginal news, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from around the country. No worries, Damien. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ricky Bloomfield, and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Uh, the day in the life is just is the first presentation of Karabing in Film Collective's work in Central Australia, and at the centre of the show showcase is a sneak peek preview of four channel installations: morning play break, cocktail hour, dinner time, uh, exploring the ordinary obstacle extraordinary obstacles Indigenous families face as they move through an ordinary day. I spoke with Sharon Lane, Beth Povanili and Marcia Bigfoot from the Karabing Film Collective about the project. Sharon, Beth and Marcia, welcome to Calm Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, the Karabing Film Collective. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what it means and, and um, what it is? Karabing means tide going out. We have a second word when it's full. Karakal. Could you tell us a bit about where you guys are from and, and what you are doing in Alice Springs? My name is Sharon and I'm from Bellewin, a small community and Trisha Lani across from Darwin across from Darwin about 40 k's we have six languages name we have Hemi Dork Murumuru Kogun Hingirang Baya and Devon Wirgi that's all that name now our three major name so what are you uh, doing here in Alice Springs? we came to do some spray painting and to come and show our film. We've got five films on Friday. We're going to watch on a movie. Anyone welcome to come to see? We're going to sneak preview our new film called Day in the Life about just a, an ordinary day in a indigenous community. It's hip-hop based. The young people wanted to do a more musical film. Mm. So... Everyone should come out and see the new one, eh? So how do you guys um, capture and do all your filming? We use phone to film that movie. Uh, about three or two phones each person have. And we have our sound. We use a little Zoom. Natasha. And Natasha. And Me and Beth, Natasha, really. Yeah, Beth and... We first used... Um, Marcy, we first used a... a uh, phone, and it? Well, that dog one we used, that cinematographer, that big camera. eh? That's for the first movie. Yeah. And then we didn't like it so much because, well, it was a great cinematographer. The guy that shot Rabbit Proof Fence, eh? Yeah. Great guy. Really great guy. But everybody had to get up every morning at six, every day for how long? Week? Two weeks? Almost a week, uh, yeah. two, three weeks. It was pretty hard, the first film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we decided to use some phones, eh? Yeah. Yeah, because we could do it just whenever we feel like. So can you tell us a bit about the film collective? I understand there's a, a huge group of views here in Alice Springs. Can you tell us about how it, how it all came about and, and why you decided to, to create this film collective? The first movie that we made that was living in Darwin, like 
Um, Marcia, mom had a in Palmerston and family used to go there, like living in a crowded house. We was all homeless. Homeless, yeah. That's why we started to make this film, how he was living and stuff like that. Back and forward, like we used to go back bush, live there with all the kids, no school, with living in a tent. And since then, what kind of other films have you guys been making? First one, Dog Talk. Second one, Winjira Maria. Yeah, Winjira Maria. We have that next one, that stealing one. Uh, the second movie that we made um, with the young kids is... Well, the young kids, they wanted to make their movie about stealing. Yes, so they came up with the idea, the young, uh, which one? Your brother, Kelvin, and Gabo, eh? Yeah. They said, oh, we want to make a film about, like, we're drinking beer in the bush and the police chase us. And then different people added on to different parts. Like what JoJo and Linda Yerwin decided to add on to that idea by putting in that, the ranger, isn't it? Ranger, yeah, putting yeah, the ranger. ranger. That's right. And then Sintu and... Over decided to also put in the mining part. Mining part. And then it became that film about how those four four young guys chased across the bush by police, meanwhile mining or stealing everything. <laughs> and who goes to jail? Miners or those young guys? Miners they, never go to jail. The young kids. <laughs> Animal seven. Yeah, that's right. She was the police. You played the police at yeah. Who you took oh, yeah. to jail? Uh, we took those boys to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> Them young kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. You remember? Picture him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the third movie that we thought about the boat. We broke down and I think those ancestors make us broke down. Yeah. So we called that and asked them for help if they could help start the boat again. And the big argument was, like, Jojo thought it was because didn't pray to Jesus and Rex thought the boat broke down because bad wiring eh? yeah one of the kids yeah muck around yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the ancestors and then whose idea that one that was everybody who went on that boat I was on that boat yeah you were on that boat yeah Marcia idea and then it's so different people got different ideas we make the film yeah so yeah so it just comes up you just come up with ideas of what you feel like shooting that day or whatever and, and the story sort of evolves from there yeah no script we have to think on our mind every each young people have to think what part they're taking so it's sort of like on the day you sort of think alright I'm going to do this you're going to yeah. do that yeah yeah and and is that way a good way of um, you know telling your story as well and and telling um, what it's like living out there? Yes. Yes. Yeah, just amongst your family. Mm. Yeah. So how does it make you feel when you have you know all your family there acting, mucking around, making films? How does that all make you feel? Happy. Yeah, it makes us happy. And happy all together, you know. We we have fun together, making film, and yeah, enjoy it really. Yeah, it can be really funny watching everyone doing it. Yeah. So you have an exhibition on tomorrow. Um, can you tell us a bit about um, what people can expect to see there? Um, if you see tomorrow, we're doing that a movie. If you seen on the corner of the wall, you can see those um big dreaming name yeah. that written down. We written in order spray painted we spray painted yesterday with all different colors that's a totem totem. and so we've gone around the world we've been brisbane we did one done them everywhere we've done them in netherland new york at moma 
And so whoever's there, they do that spray painting in their style A and their colors, but all that, that dreaming track is in the right line. So young and you know younger, as they do that, they really learn that right track A. Right track, yeah. Great way for um, yeah teaching the younger ones about the storyline, song yeah. lines. Yeah, and then we're going to put them ancestors in a speaker under the wood and sand. Yeah. So you can hear them coming out of the ground, yeah. We're going to watch tomorrow all the movie going on, all six movie. They're just short movies. Short, short movie, yeah. Half an hour. And so can you tell us a bit about um, what you guys are planning to do into the future? More films, more art? Um, what other things are you planning to do? What, what, how many other stories do you think you'll be able to tell? Never ending. <laughs> we made a road down to Marbleook to see our dreaming. Mm. where they sit and we took some four or five kids down with us. And that road to the, that area, that there was never a way to get there? You have to go with a boat. But a rough, eh? Rough, yeah, rough sea. So, so Karabing uses the money it makes from its film and art to... We don't put it back into film, eh? We use it... Use it to... Like, why? We got a shed sitting... Back in Balluin. And yeah. solar power? Solar power back home at bush, you know, so mm. for the young kids, you know, they can go back bush. Oh, we go, we're oh, hunting we go, all the time? For yeah. hunting and camping out there. And motor cars. We don't use money we make from films to make films. We find money somewhere else, but we use that money for bush, eh? Bush for the right thing, you know? Yeah. Help the community. Help, yeah. Yeah, help keeping yeah. it strong, yeah. Down the future, are you going to be looking at trying to expand the filmmaking and trying to get a bit more money for for the community and to be able to make more stuff as well? No, I say no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. We just do it our way. Eh? Yeah, yeah, we got it. We got good money, eh, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, if anybody wants to donate, we'll take your money. <laughs> it will go to a good cause. <laughs> so, Beth, how do you? How have you seen this project? Uh, uh, you know, develop and, and help everyone. Yeah. So I came as a philosopher a long time ago, and there was big land claim there, and those old people, your mom, actually grandmas, they needed. You know, by white person law. <laughs> I don't have to, everybody knows this that's listening. By white person law, indigenous people always have to have a lawyer and anthropologist, eh? So those old men and women, they said, and I grew up in the bush in Louisiana, and I come from the Alps where we have a village, and it's, it's weird. It's similar. It's like there's five families for that village, and mine, Povinelli family is one. So it was a lot of rhyming, you know? But anyways, those, the, the older people said, uh, Beth, why don't you come back and be our lawyer for this land claim? I said, I don't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what, what about anthropologists? And I said, what is that? And they said, white people study us. Oh, come on. <laughs> so anyways, that's, that's how that started. And then we just grew up together. Eh? I got Marcy and my granddaughter. I got great grandkids. Hmm. So whatever we're doing, we all do together. Oh, is that right or wrong? All right, yeah. Yeah. So oh. they wanted... I, this was not my idea. When Who idea was it to start making films when we, you might have everybody been homeless? I think Trevor decided to make a movie, yeah. Yeah. 
about our lifetime, how we was living and stuff like that. Yeah, so that was a brother of mine, and we were like, yeah, that's a great idea. Anybody know how to make films? <laughs> so we just learned, eh? Yeah, learn. And I mean, like, you know, back back in the old day, we wouldn't have been able to do anything like you are doing. It would have cost a lot of money to, mm. to get cameras and all that kind of stuff. How, how awesome is it? to have phones nowadays that the technology mm-hmm. is able to you know capture this mm-hmm. kind of stuff just by something small really good yeah awesome thing to do with yeah. the phone we just any day it's like oh come on let's do that shot okay what were you wearing <laughs> that other day <laughs> continuity yeah. errors yeah. oh so many <laughs> if we go back and put that same clothes on them. same clothes try find the clothes <laughs> So we shoot it ourselves. One of the things we noticed is like all the money was flowing out, paying good people, but still, you know, like you're, you're, it's going out, and we want it to come in, eh? So there's still a couple more things like, and I just pay for it because I, you know, I got a professor job. So, anyways, but we we got some people that clean them up that that picture, make it. You actually use if you have that film you can Da Vinci or something, and it makes it just so mm. we can shoot the way we want to shoot, and it still come out. Beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and and so for that, do you have anyone, um, you know, trying to learn how to, you know, put all the movies together, Editing, editing and, yeah. and stuff like that? Is anyone trying to do that? It's, no. it's, a, it's a hard thing. Yeah. It is pretty, it's pretty I, tricky. I edit. I edit it. And then well, we show them back and forth, hey? Yeah. Rough cut. Hey? Rough, rough cut. But show us. Yeah. And then everybody put in their two cents. Yeah. Then show again. So, and B says I'm always here. And, and so, just finally, before I let you go, uh, a little message out there to anyone thinking of, um, you know, trying to do this. What, mm. what would you say? Uh, you just only got to focus and think on your own mind. You want to do whatever comes up on your mind and yeah, just do it what you think. That was uh, Sharon Lane, Beth Pervinelli and Marcia Bigfoot from the Carabing Film Collective. That's all the time we got this morning, but um, thank you to all our guests and uh, we will catch you again tomorrow. Oh,